Turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind, with beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code IMPROVE to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code IMPROVE for 10% off. Welcome to Latitude Photography Podcast, where we talk about everything related to travel and landscape photography. Just a quick note on a reminder about how things are happening here with the podcast group. The individual podcasts like Latitude and Photo Taco, etc. still have some episodes being released here on this feed, but before too long, we'll be putting all of them on their own individual feed. So for instance, with my Latitude feed, I've got some episodes there that just aren't going to be released on this feed. So if you are missing out, I encourage you to find the Latitude feed and get over on that. And you can listen to things such as my talk with Dan Bailey and Brent Huntley. And then also my talk about Provence with a photographer that lives in the region and uh, just encourage you to get over there if you haven't done so already and hit that subscribe button and listen to those podcasts there. In today's show, we talk about shooting various formats of cameras as we travel around to various locations and also adding large format to the mix. So here we go. Welcome back to Latitude Photography Podcast, the podcast for travel and nature photography. Today I am joined by Stevan Tontich, and he is a photographer that likes to travel around, and he just got into some large format photography, so we're going to have quite a bit to talk about, I think. Stevan, welcome to the show. Hey, Bren. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. It's good to have you here, and I'm very excited to talk about your topics that you have uh, set up. So it's, you know, just a little bit of travel, a little bit of landscape, like, you, you know, we're getting into some large format now. So before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about yourself, just, uh, you know, who is Stevan, you know, what do you do and, and the type of photography you do, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a quality management professional and I live in uh, Chicago area. And originally, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm not from U.S. Mm -hmm. I was born in uh, what used to be the old Yugoslavia, and it's right. Bosnia now, in the uh, city of Sarajevo. And I grew up there, and when I was 18, I actually left to be an exchange student in the United States for a year. However, it ended up the uh, war in Bosnia started around the same time, and so as a result, I um, became an immigrant and uh Got married to a great lady from Iowa, and we have one awesome kid together. And um, as far as my photography goes, I think I've always had some uh, touch uh, points with photography in my life. My grandfather was a professional photographer and an art photographer as well. So uh, when mm. I was very small, I grew up with uh, – a lot of camera equipment and and uh, so I remember playing with the filters when I was three or four years old, getting different colors to come through and stuff like that. And then uh, um, when I was 13, I actually picked up a camera and started shooting till about I was 18 or so. Uh, developed my own film in Bosnia. Um, had some other buddies of mine. We were all into it together, so it was a lot of fun. 
after I came to U.S., though, I kind of set photography aside for various reasons and sort of almost forgot about it until mm. a friend of mine about eight years ago challenged me to uh, uh, check out a, a Lake County Camera Club here locally in Chicago cool. area. And nice. so I uh, kind of uh, reignited my passion for photography. Very cool. So yeah. you, you said when the war broke out, that was like in the mid-90s. So you've been here since that time, right? Roughly that yeah, time frame. Yeah, awesome. so Very so cool. pretty much uh, more than half my life. Uh, okay, all right. So you're yeah. you're kind of a young guy, sort of. Some would say anyway. Mm, yeah, forty yeah. something. <laughs> I hear you there. <laughs> Sweet, good. So, tell me about three. Briefly describe three, uh, two or three different locations that you've recently traveled to for photography, and just maybe a little bit about the types of photography you do at, at those types of locations. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I, because I travel quite a bit um, for work, uh, I get a lot of opportunities to go visit some some cool places that I, that I uh, wouldn't be able to see um, uh, otherwise, probably. So, nice. My now, latest. Uh, do you travel yeah, just like regionally, or do you travel nationally, internationally? For work? Actually, both. I okay. travel in U.S. and internationally. Actually, okay. probably more internationally than locally. Wow. Um, we have various suppliers that we work with. So, um, like, for instance, I was just recently in China. So, um, I, I was in Shanghai area as well in uh, Suzhou and uh, Hangzhou area. Um, so, I did uh, quite a bit of photography there. And uh, before that, I was in Virginia where I was actually testing that uh, Graflex large format camera. Okay. And uh, one other trip that comes to my mind that was kind of a big deal for me last year, I got to go back to South Dakota. Uh, actually, when I was an exchange student, the first year uh, of my living in U.S., I um, lived in South Dakota in a very tiny town called Midland with some great people there. And so I had a chance to go back there, but I also did some photography in um, Black Hills area, Badlands, and um, oh, yeah. 1880 Town, which is right there on the interstate. It's a pretty cool place. Some people might know it. So That is yeah. such an awesome area. I was there two or three summers, three or four summers ago now. Such a nice place. Yeah. That's awesome. I know. Yeah. South Dakota, I think, is uh, one place where I definitely could uh, feel I could go back a bunch of times and, mm -hmm. and get something new and interesting every time I go there. So, yeah, it's great. Awesome. So when you like take a vacation, uh, do you also travel or do you are you more of the stay locally since you travel so much for work? Uh, that's a great question, actually. Uh, last three vacations that we took were all with the family going back right. to Europe to see my family who lives in Bosnia. So, all right, good. yeah, we... We were in Slovenia one year, Croatia another year. Uh, this third year, we were in Ireland and Bosnia. So, oh. yeah, got to see some cool places uh, at that time as well. So Very nice. So tell me about, you know, did you, you said you did some photography in China. Where specifically were you? So, the, yeah, this was my second time. But uh, uh, Shanghai is one area where actually... I've taken some pretty cool pictures. Uh, uh, there's actually one, one of one of my recent favorites is actually on a on a digital Pentax. It was a uh, in the Bund area of Shanghai there, and actually I was raining that night, so I really had an opportunity to take some unique photos with all the reflections and people holding umbrellas and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. this last time. Uh, we spend more time in uh, Hangzhou and the Suzhou area, which are kind of nearish Shanghai, maybe you know a couple of hours by train or car. 
and uh, and we went to a lot of these uh, various kinds of Chinese gardens that are from you know 600 to 800 years or, or more old uh, canals, old canals, and and uh, mm. I don't remember the name, but there is actually an, an ancient canal that they built going from. Um, uh, Hangzhou all the way to Beijing. So uh, there's a lot of old settlements on, on, on this canal. And so they have all kinds of little tourist things to do there and some great photo ops. Yeah. You know, the fact, the fact you mentioned that ancient canal, I was just reading a book on ancient mm -hmm. Chinese, well, not too ancient, but Chinese history. So, and they were mentioning that. And uh, it's really interesting how much exploration the Chinese did even before our, what we have in our history books, the modern uh, European explorers, uh, again, I can't really say modern because it's 1400s, but, uh, and how the Chinese were getting out even before that. And it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a very interesting uh, look at a culture that was very advanced and then they kind of pulled back. I forget which dynasty pulled back, but anyway. Uh, and then of course, now they're becoming uh, just as, just as advanced, if not more so in many cases. So uh, it's neat to go back and to go over, I shouldn't say go back, but to go over and see some of these kinds of things as they're happening. And then you still have that history. Did you get to photograph those canals at all? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, on on my website, uh, there's a blog. I think my latest blog is actually in China, and some of the pictures are there. But um, it was raining that day. But it actually turns out for me, a lot of times when it's raining, I end up with some better pictures than oh, when absolutely. it's really nice and sunny. These are beautiful. And, uh, so I'm gonna I'm yeah, gonna re you. read it off real quick. <laughs> Stevan Tontic. So you added the H in your name on your website. So um, uh, S T E V A N T O N T I C H dot com, and mm -hmm. then uh, click on the blog link, and then uh, for China in spring 2018. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and there's a good mix of different kinds of photographs there. Some yeah. are on film, some are actually digital with the iPhone, which uh, I don't shoot a lot with the iPhone, but I did this time. And doing some street photography there with the iPhone was a lot of fun because it's, it's just really convenient and pictures are actually pretty nice. So, For sure. Yeah. Definitely convenient. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. So the ones that are square, it looks like I would presume you're shooting a Hasselblad? Yeah, actually close. Uh, I do have a Hasselblad too, but that was with a uh, Rolleiflex um, okay. 2.8, uh, actually 3.5 lens. That's sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's okay. it's a really nice uh, setup, and uh, Rolleiflex is a is a great camera to uh, start a lot of conversations with because oh, everybody uh, either had one or knows someone who had it, and um, I find people are actually kind of uh, I don't know. Uh, not as intimidated by you taking the photograph when you're shooting something like a Rolleiflex or an old camera. So I think you have another benefit. I think you're onto something there. Now the Rolleiflex, that's a twin yeah. lens reflex camera, right? Yes. Yes. And so yes, you've got so. the two lenses in front of the box for people who may not know. And mm -hmm. then you're holding it at roughly waist or belly height and you're looking down into it. Uh, yeah. it because the image is uh, cast upwards on the, you know, the viewfinder as it were. And so while you're not seeing exactly what's recorded on film, you're seeing very closely what's recorded on film because, you know, you have the two lenses. One is for your viewfinder and one is for recording on film. And so you're going around and so the image is, is it only flipped left to right or is it upside down? I can't remember actually. Uh, le left to right. So that. it's flipped, yeah, it's, so. it's reversed <laughs> left to right. So it can be a little bit confusing when you're setting up your shot, but you know, you get the square format on that particular camera and, and um, it, it definitely slows you down, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it does. And some people have a rough time with that. I never had an issue. You just kind of like figure out uh, a lot of times I don't actually look at the viewfinder. I look at what I want to take a picture of and I just move the camera according to that and look down again. It's actually less confusing. But Totally. Um, yes. Yeah. If, if but, you're uh, looking down, like, yeah. if you're sorry, if you're looking down um, and you're trying to track it, it might make you feel dizzy because you twist to the left, but the image goes to the right. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, exactly. And what's also interesting is a lot of people don't really even associate that particular position that you're in when you're taking a picture with taking pictures anymore. So if right. you're just looking down into the camera, a lot of people are thinking you're like checking out your phone or something. So you, yeah. you can get close and take pics and folks don't even know you're taking the picture. If, oh, that's if, awesome. If street photography is of interest, that's always a, a good thing. So. Yeah. You bet. Yeah, that's cool. So let's talk uh, at least about one specific image. I'm looking at one of your image, square images that you took with that. We're looking at this canal mm -hmm. and we got three boaters in there. Are you on a little mm -hmm. bridge? Yes, actually. And uh, forgive me, I don't remember the, the area. It's actually, it has a nickname, uh, Venice of China. Okay. If you actually type that into a Google uh, engine, you will, you will find where it is. It's about 30 kilometers, I want to say, south from Suzhou. Uh, anyway, yeah, so you go into this area and you walk around and there's a lot of narrow streets and then and some great uh, picture opportunities all over the place. And then there are some bridges that go over the canal. So there I actually had a friend hold the umbrella for me because it was raining and uh, I was right at the top of the bridge. And then I actually set up a shot and I had to wait for a while because I wanted all three boats to be uh, – kind of lined yeah. up in front to kind of give some continuity moving out from the from the image and so yeah that's what that ended up being uh and i shot that on a color ektar film okay um but i also converted it into black and white i don't know if it's on the website or not i kind of like the black and white version as well so it's kind of another fun thing you know just like with digital you can always end up with the black and white if you're shooting color too so right for sure yeah i'm not seeing it in black and white on your website but i can just yeah i can kind of picture it. it's a it's a muted uh, tone of colors anyway so i can see black and white working really well in that particular image yeah and that's one of the fun things about film i think is because it renders color sometimes differently than digital digital is definitely more accurate but there's some fun to be had in kind of the unexpected color cast that the film takes on and some yeah. interesting ways how it interprets color almost. Uh, like another film I sometimes shoot, Velvia, like, you know, it, it sometimes makes the shadows purple or blue. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, Velvia is kind of a famous uh, landscape film anyway. But uh, even if I want to shoot digitally later and I learn what that look looks like and i want to create it digitally later i i can do it because i kind of know what it looks like right you know, so for sure yeah velvia and uh they finally came out with a velvia 100 when i was back shooting film i really enjoyed that film but mm -hmm. then there's provia there's all sorts of things fuji had a, some of the best film though i really liked that uh as i scroll further down on your blog uh, i've got a blog says uh, street scenes from shanghai black and white mm -hmm. edition so I want to talk about a few of the images. Uh, there's one where people are crossing the street and it's certainly rainy and they're kind of blurry. Mm -hmm. So are you, when you shoot something like this, are you on a tripod or are you just doing really well hand holding? How, do, how does that work out for you? 
Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, I would say one of the less appreciated digital cameras out and around that can actually be had for not a lot of money is uh, Pentax K3, uh, either a, a normal version or a two, and that's what that is. Okay. And the reason why I, uh, one of the reasons I liked it, I, I don't have it anymore, is uh, is that it actually uh, has really good image stabilization in it. So mm. that was actually good enough to be handheld uh, with the image stabilization turned on. Um, so it actually, uh, didn't shake anywhere, but obviously, well, it's not really a shake, but the blur from the people moving, yeah. uh, because it was probably about, um, I'd say a 20th of a second or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I, so, I was thinking 15th, I was going <laughs> to guess. So yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's about the limit of the image stabilization, but because mm-hmm. it was a little bit wider, you can go down to 15th or a 10th or something like sure. that. So. Yeah, yeah, but so, it's a nice, you know, nice uh, stark with the contrast, a nice bright sky, nice dark, wet street that's doing some reflection. But really, the interest is right there. That slice right through the middle. You've got the the street scene. You got people walking right. through, creating some motion blur. So that's it's a nice, intriguing image with uh, that slice where all the action is happening, and that's surrounded with these other areas that certainly set the scene really well. Yeah, and one nice thing about China, like somewhere like Shanghai, is that there's just so many people that for pictures like that, there's never a lack of people walking around or being able to walk in and out of your uh, picture for some interesting compositions and stuff like that. So, yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. That's good. So let's talk a little more about the film shooting experience and, and some more of the landscape ideas. Where where have you gone, let's say, with your Hasselblad or your... Rollerflex, purely just for photography and and shooting some landscapes. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I didn't even get in film till about five years ago, and it was just okay. an experiment. But I kind of rediscovered it again, and I have been trying to explain to myself my fascination with film up to this day. And I and I really don't know if I have a great answer other than I just like it. Sure. <laughs> you know, Good enough and, for me. <laughs> and I, you know, a little bit of a tangibility to, to being able to develop your own film, see your own negatives, hold them, scan them. Uh, it's definitely slower, but it does make you think a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, the camera is a lot of fun. I, I think they're kind of like more basic, but it, it does let you kind of think more about photography. I mean, just picking on Hasselblad, it's a manual focus and the lens, you can set the aperture and, and shutter speed and, and you can change the film backs and that's it. I mean, you know, there's no HDR, there's no nothing else, you know, so you got to think a lot more about what you're doing and things mm-hmm. like that. So, I mean, one of the fun things that uh, my South Dakota, I mentioned that, that I experimented with and, and with great satisfaction, to be honest, is I was using a Fuji Neopan Acros 100 film, which is great. Also being discontinued, unfortunately. Yeah, And I, I was that. over there in uh, 1880s town, which, which is a kind of a really cool, um, it was actually in Dances with Wolves, I think. It was mm-hmm. kind of like an old town that was put together for the movie. Okay. And it's a tourist attraction now. So a lot of cool Western looking things. And uh, I was actually using a red filter with a black and white film. And, and uh, I, I just love the results because it increases the contrast. It turns the, the blue skies black. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a certain kind of a shift to from light to dark, from highlight to shadow that I really get through that red filter where it's really hard for me to reproduce in digital. So definitely I, I prefer film for something like that. Um, 
I Hasselblad's a little heavier, so I don't always take it with me unless it's like I'm planning a day trip to shoot. Um, sure. Rolleiflex is more like, um, you know, kind of a half street travel kind of camera. It's not very heavy. Right. So places like Shanghai and, uh, you know, the, just street photography and stuff, I think those are pretty cool for. So. And that Rolleiflex, that's got a fixed lens, right? Yeah, so both of these I shoot with our 80 millimeter, I believe, okay. which in medium format translates to about uh, 50. So basically, sure. it's your normal lens. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only lens you have too for the Hasselblad. Uh, yeah, 80 millimeter. Okay. Uh, Carl Zeiss T-Star lens is pretty sure. cool. Um, I had 150 millimeter at one point, but I'm just not a big portrait shooter, and that one's a portrait lens, so I sold it. Okay, so I'm I'm a little bit uh, I guess faked out or fooled a little bit uh you've got on your mono work section on your website mm -hmm. what looks like the the snow monkeys from japan yes yeah um and it's you're really close in and zoomed in and it feels like you've got that that more portrait style lens what did you say 105 or 150 well, yeah, um, yeah, it's actually, I don't remember. It was about five years ago, and I don't think it was very much of a, a zoom lens. I yeah. want to say it was maybe like 70 millimeter on sure. a 35 millimeter camera. Oh, the reason okay. being is because the snow monkeys are like um, surprisingly close. I sure. have no idea. Uh, I mean, while I was probably taking a picture of that one, there's usually two or three that are actually curling around your legs and you can right. kind of awesome. feel their tails touching you. <laughs> That's awesome. So you really don't need much of a telephoto. Yeah. So, awesome. But It's your square crop on your website that makes me think it was done with your Hasselblad, but that was done with a different camera. So that's, that's all right. Um, I challenge myself to uh, kind of try to create a little bit of a more uh, uh, kind of a put together look on the front page. So yes. I made all my photographs square. About half of them are film, but the other half are actually digital. They're just Sweet. been cut cut to square. Yeah, so. it's it's great for that consistency. So that's yeah, that's nice. Yeah, and I don't do only black and white, but I for for now I have that on my front page. I kind of like some of them, so think it works <laughs> yeah now are any of these done with that graphlex you were talking about no so if you don't mind let me tell you a little bit about that so that's kind of i've always known about medium for i'm um, like a large format but but that's kind of like another leap in in costs and setup mm -hmm. and all kinds of things but yes, it uh, is. i was actually in a thrift store about two months ago i don't remember uh, exactly and, and i saw a speed graphic up on like about seven feet high and uh, on one of the shelves and they were selling it for like $50 and I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to get this thing. And it didn't have a lens and mm -hmm. I have, I know nothing about how to operate these cameras. And it was tons of fun just coming home and trying to even figure out this thing works. And then finding out that it had a focal plane shutter in the back. So there's like these two knobs that you turn and twist to get certain combinations wow. to get shutter speeds. And then I found out that it actually had a, a kind of a more unique uh, graph lock back on it that yeah. takes more attachments like medium format attachments. And then, um, and then I also thought it was cool because it's actually black instead of Chrome and uh, doing some research, I found out that the reason why that is, is because it was produced during world war two, probably around 1945. So, okay. um, so I, I like it. Family likes it. So of course then I was like, well, I got to get a lens for it and actually go shooting with it. And, now I'm totally like suckered into large format because uh, 
uh, once you get those big negatives out and they're five inches by four inches and you scan one in and you mm -hmm. see the amount of resolution that you can get out of it. That's it's amazing, pretty, isn't it? pretty amazing. And uh, yes, you don't shoot a lot, but um, there's a lot more contemplation, preparation, getting out there, focusing on photography. You know, you, you take less photos, but I think your keepers are way higher than you would get with a, with a digital shoot probably. So. For sure. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but we need to thank our sponsor. Thank you, Squarespace, where you can turn your dream into a reality. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Whether you're looking to start a new business, showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more, Squarespace is the tool for you. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers and the ability to customize just about anything with a few clicks, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. Squarespace's powerful e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online, and analytics help you grow your site in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box, and there's nothing to patch or upgrade, ever. Buying domains is simple, and you'll get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. Squarespace empowers millions of people, from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms, to turn great ideas into something real. So check out squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code IMPROVE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code IMPROVE for 10% off. And now this isn't a true view camera style. This is the large 4x5, and you've got the ground glass you're focusing on, right? But yeah. you don't have the opportunity to do the rise and fall, tilt and swing with your backside, with the film plane itself. You don't. So, of course, you can probably guess what's the next thing I did because I'm kind of addicted to this kind of stuff more than I should be. I actually researched it a little bit and I recently ordered a, a camera like that from okay. a website called the ItalianCamera.com. It's, it's a young man called Alessandro Ghibellini out in Italy where they, it's actually in Modena, Italy, same place where they make the, the Lambos and the Ferraris. Oh, wow. Sweet. And uh, he makes these like super expensive metal and carbon fiber Ghibellini cameras, but he also makes these uh, 3D plastic print printed versions for about 700 bucks that are full-blown view cameras with all the oh, movements and stuff. Oh my goodness. I wonder so, if he yeah. sells his plans because I've got like <clears throat> six 3D printers at work. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I could, yeah, I could put them busy, make them busy. I, I just, I went to the website, I saw him and like fell in love. This thing is so beautiful. I mean, it's kind of funky because it's old and it's like a camera decomposed kind of a thing, but uh uh, it almost looks like a little transformer. So I, I can't wait to get it because I also bought a 90 millimeter, which is like a 28 millimeter wide angle yeah, lens for it. So I'm, sure. I'm going to want to do some more serious landscape photography and probably here in the fall and whatever when I get the whole thing. So What's the uh, address again? www.theitaliancamera.com All right. So I'll put that website in the uh in the show notes so people can look that up and click on it and whatnot do they sell it in a kit with the bellows and all that yes um so he oh, he prints them in white with the white bellows but uh I, I just recently learned for more money you can combine it with uh, red bellows green bellows blue bellows of course so there's all kinds of fun things to explore <laughs> it's that definitely like amazing. the 21st century uh four by five camera you know <laughs> that is amazing that's awesome and and i just weighed in my speed graphic at like seven pounds i was actually curious how heavy it is mm -hmm. 
and and uh, I think the Ghibellini camera is under three pounds, so it'll be a lot easier to carry around because no it's all doubt. plastic and stuff. So yeah, that is beautiful. Yep, that's awesome. I love it. Okay, before I get too far sidetracked. <laughs> yeah no problem holy cow i could so go down a rabbit hole on that one uh when i was in college i got a um a large format kit from a place called bender photo they're out of leavenworth washington and it was made out of pine and it was a kit that i put together and mm -hmm. so kind of the same idea only it came in pieces and then i had to assemble it and before i assembled of course i stained it and polished it and just made it look real legit and real awesome and I think cool. I started with a 150 lens, so it was just your standard, you know, view, uh, slightly wide maybe on a um, on the four by five. But um, yeah, fun to shoot. Although I don't shoot it anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I'm just getting into it. But but I really think uh, it's it's almost a sad thing that that more or less the whole large format photography is kind of a dying breed. Uh, yeah. There's not a lot of information on it, and even if you look on the at the websites, a lot of them haven't been updated by for 10, 15 years. They're probably ran by some uh, older generation folks that, you know, just maybe are not updating them anymore, right. but there are still certain things that a large format camera can do, especially when it comes to moving, moving things like, uh, correcting perspective or, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, focusing more in the foreground. Even I, I understand with the movements in the front standard, you can actually sometimes like if you have mountains in the background, you can make them a little bigger in the image or, uh, focus on only certain area of an image and and yes there are some shift tilt shift lenses but mm -hmm. nothing like that for digital though. but 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 they're expensive and they're still limited comparative to what you can do with the right. large format right so, very limited yeah because if you raise if you raise the front standard you're just going to lift the image circle basically so you can change your perspective without mm -hmm. causing that distortion that you get when you just tilt the camera up and then when you tilt that lens forward without lifting it up, you know, you change the the focal plane. And so that's where you can, rather than have it go, you know, perpendicular to the ground, like it usually is when your camera is just level, you can take that focal plane and shift it. And that can be really powerful. And then if you twist it to the left or the right, you can take that focal plane and shift it one way or the other as well. And that can really change up your scene uh, quite a bit with what you're focusing on. And that can get really interesting. Uh, to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I, rem I remember a long time ago, and this was back with my, in my grandpa's uh, house, he had Linhof, uh, which is another large format mm -hmm. company. Uh, um, they're like marketing material. And I, and I clearly remember this uh, image where they actually had a person taking a picture in, in a mirror, but they shifted the lens in such a way that you can, yeah. couldn't see the person. Yeah, and exactly. I yeah. think he, he can do some weird stuff like that. So I, I'm excited to experiment with it once I get it and see what I can get out of it. And, yeah. uh, and also, I mean, you know, I know everybody's talking megapixels nowadays and that seems to be real important, but you know, I mean, there's these so-called drum scans and you do have mm -hmm. to pay about $12 a scan. But, I mean, you can easily pull 100 megapixels out of a large format uh, negative, um, which is amazing still for, oh, yeah. you know, it's still it's still more than you can get with, you know, something like my Sony uh, 7R2 or 3 or whatever. So that was where I wanted to go next was how do you get these digitized? <clears throat> Well, yeah, I also, uh, th th there's a couple options a person would have. First of all, of course, you got to buy film. So you got about $2 a sheet uh, cost in that. And then you get to make a choice. Either you want to try to develop it at home 
or you send it out. Um, if you develop it at home, uh, cost is actually super low. Uh, you just kind of have to learn how to do the whole thing, but it's not really that hard, and there's like a gazillion tutorials in the web. Um, right. And then if you want to send it out, uh, believe it or not, there's all kinds of labs out there still do this stuff, like the Darkroom or the Find Lab, uh, Dwayne's Photo, there's all kinds. And they usually charge about 4 to $6 for one sheet, so obviously okay. the cost is then going to go up quite a bit. And some of them offer scanning, some don't. Uh, there's some folks that only do scanning, so you got to send it there. Otherwise, honestly, I have a $150 scanner that I rigged uh, for 4x5, and what I actually have to do is take uh, two passes, and then I stitch them in Photoshop. Um, oh that's my. my cheap way of doing it. Otherwise, you got to buy a, a, like an Epson yeah. 750 or 850 uh, right. to do it in one pass, And but that's a... $800 investment or so. So yeah, yeah. it's a much more, uh, the 850 <laughs> is coming in at 902 and 27 cents on BNH. So yeah. that is definitely a more expensive. So you say you rigged it. Uh, was it not having a transparency adapter, uh, when you, or is it a different style of scanner altogether? No, I, I scanned with a V550. It's similar to V600. Those are okay. less expensive. What, what they do is they have a transparency area, but it's only basically uh, up to a medium format. Oh. So it's only about uh, two and a quarter inches wide. And obviously the four by five negative is bigger. Yeah. So uh, I actually just installed some like Lexan uh, material that I sandwiched the film in. Okay. And then I just moved the Lexan, like uh, I, I uh, kind of put it against one side scan and put it against the other side scan and okay. then just tell Photoshop to put it together. It's it's actually pretty quick. But no, that's that's, sure. that's the uh, poor man's way of doing it, I guess. <laughs> no, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, since so basically their lid on that on that scanner is just going to have a small area that is where the transparency of the light shines through. I just wonder if you could lift the lid and then put some kind of light box on top. Obviously, it might be too bright. It might be too dark. Who knows? Take some trial and error, but that'd be interesting to try out so you can get it in one shot. But Yeah, I never thought about that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess this uh, particular method doesn't bug me too much, but sure. uh, I, do, I am eyeing one of these... Uh... Um, you know, more expensive scanners because I think yeah. if I really get in a large format, I'm probably going to want one of those at some point, but we'll sure. see. Um, yeah. And there's also, you should look up uh, a term called wet scanning. So you can actually use a certain oil to adhere the, mm -hmm. the negative to the glass and you get a much higher res even scan out of that. It can be a real <laughs> nice high quality scan. Yeah. Yeah, so I watch some people do it, and, and I'm kind of joking here, but but if you think scanning's too fast, like you know, <laughs> go and do it the wet scan because oh, that yeah. slows it down way more. Uh, but it's some so people messy. do do it. Like if you have this, like you know, Ansel Adams landscape that you're super yeah. proud of, you know, maybe it's worth the time. Yeah. And the 850, 750 scanners, they do have wet scan um, <clears throat> attachment that you can buy separately, and then then you can do it with that. So, but yeah, I've never tried one yet. So yeah, cool. Well, great. Let's head back and talk about one more picture on your website. Sure. Maybe a couple more. Who knows? Okay. Um, I see a picture here of a lighthouse. I'm on back on your black and white. Was this one done in film? Uh, no, that was actually done with a um, uh, Olympus EM1 digital okay. camera. So you shoot all sorts of stuff. Yeah, to be honest with you, um, 
I've probably with film and digital included in the last eight years, I've probably shot 50 different cameras. Oh my so goodness. Wow. I buy and sell cameras all the time and I try them and I see if I like them. So I sell sure. other stuff I buy, but, um, <clears throat> I actually shot with Nikon first and then I kind of got tired of the DSLR size. So I went to, uh, uh, micro four thirds and, and I loved that Olympus, but, uh, I don't know. I kind of meandered off back into larger sensors again after that, but, hmm. Yeah, that shot's uh, Fanad uh, Head in uh, Donegal, Ireland. It's a very famous spot. Uh, but um, I actually, uh, th 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 I I'm kind of bragging a little bit here, but yeah, this ahead. image in a slightly different format actually won like uh, black and white print of the year at the Chicago Camera Club Association, which is like 36 camera clubs in Chicago. So as oh, far wow. as like awards go, that is like my uh, most awarded or highest awarded image. So. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, in print, in a slightly different format, I think it's a pretty cool shot. So yeah, yeah. no doubt. I mean, you got all sorts of things working for you. A nice rugged coastline. Uh, you said this is in Donegal, uh, Ireland. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that's on the northern coast, is it not? Uh, yeah, so it's like extreme northwest. Uh, there's yeah. a little piece of land you can see back there. I mean, it's probably not that island, but the next, but you're getting into parts that belong to Scotland. So it's like pretty okay. high up there. So, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Nice, rugged, rocky coast, some water crashing on it. The lighthouse, of course, some really moody clouds. So you got a lot of neat stuff working for you in this image. So uh, yeah, and, 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 and this one's kind of an interesting example, I think, where digital is kind of maybe a benefit because <clears throat> the clouds are a little bit work to kind of create mm -hmm. that drama effect. I highly sure. doubt that I've been able to pull something like that with film. So, you know, that's why I like both mediums because, hey, you know, when something works better with digital, let's go with that. You know, I'm yeah. not totally stuck on film. but Yeah. Well, have you seen the uh, the Ansel Adams documentary that PBS did several years ago? No, I don't they, think so. They get into a little bit of detail on the work that he did in the darkroom about dodging and burning and how he's bringing mm -hmm. out all the detail. And they get into a fair amount of detail on his image, uh, Moonrise over Hernandez, New Mexico. And that is, he <laughs> did some magic with that image so it could actually turn out to what it is. But uh, they, So they go into some a fair amount of detail what he did in the darkroom with that. So... Uh, that might be some inspiration since you're getting into the large format. You know, it just might be some inspiration to say, you know, what see what is possible because film is amazing and how much dynamic range it has. Uh, but the paper itself probably doesn't have that dynamic range. So that's where the dodging and burning comes into place and and making it happen in the darkroom. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I'd love to expand to one day, but but it's just not possible not right now, <laughs> is I'd love to make some silver gelatin prints, you know, yeah. the old-fashioned way. Because uh, to me, I can still recognize one from a mile off, and it looks sure. different than digital. And, uh, you know, I have seen 50 to 70-year-old silver prints that look still beautiful. Oh, yeah. Digital, everybody tells us they will last, but uh, I, nobody's seen it yet, so we'll nope. see. <laughs> nope. I, I can vouch for that. I've got a canvas I printed. Oh, probably six or seven years ago, but it was on a die based printer. So, you know, I can maybe forgive it a little bit, but it just looks horrendous now. It was in a, mm. and it was even in a cupboard or I should say a drawer and no chance of any UV light hitting it. It looks terrible. So I'm just like, nope, digital prints are definitely, at least when they're die based printers, they just, 
stink. <laughs> so yeah, thankfully our, our pigment based printers of today do a much better job. And actually when I was first getting into it, some people wanted to buy some of my prints and, and unfortunately I, I think one or two of them came back to tell me five, six year, years later that it kind of faded. And mm. You know, I offered to make another one and, and, and that's fine. We settled it. But yes, it was on a, on a dyed base printer and, yeah. and uh, um, <clears throat> I think it helps if you use the original inks that, that are matched with the paper and a printer. But but still, I, I definitely UV protection is like a must, I think, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. Well, Stevan, do you have any uh, future travel plans? Where are you headed next, if you have any future travel mm. plans? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I'm heading back to Europe at some point uh, All right. again, but I'm not sure where. And um, um, one of the places that, that I've gone to once, uh, and again, we have some business down in Mexico. A lot of companies do in uh, uh, like uh, El Paso area and Juarez. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, the White Sands National Park is, is only like an hour and a half drive from El Paso. So yeah. I've, I've gone there before and I was hoping maybe to hit it up next year, uh, this year again. So. Um, yeah, I've seen some awesome pictures from, from that place and, uh, it'd be cool to go there again. Um, so yeah. And I think another place is, uh, uh, here in Chicago, one, one interesting area one can get to is up in the Michigan upper peninsula, um, oh, around yeah. Lake Superior. <laughs> there are wonderful. some actual, like, um, you know, beautiful tree formations. And, uh, when the color starts to change and if you luck out with the waterfalls, there's five or six decent waterfalls to take pictures of up there too. Mm. So, um, that might be another destination. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that sounds great. Thank yeah. you so much for joining me on this episode and telling us about your photography and your cameras and, and all that good stuff. It's been great to, to have you on. Absolutely. My pleasure. It was fun doing this. So thanks for the opportunity. You're, you're very welcome. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends about it. And uh, take a look at Stevan's website, S-T-E-V-A-N-T-O-N-I-T-C-H.com. And until next time, happy shooting. We're, we're being interrupted. That was my four-year-old. <laughs> okay, we're back at it.